All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night as I'm recording this uh, pretty late in the evening. I, I couldn't gain the energy after a few errands that I had to do after practice, but uh, I decided to, to wait it out. And This is going to be kind of an intermediate uh, podcast between... Uh, the games that we've had already, and then the game that we have tomorrow against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, there was a Nuggets practice today. That will be the first update uh, that we really have gotten about Michael Porter Jr. that hasn't necessarily come from just outside sources. Um, and we got some good stuff. There's there's a lot of excitement around that situation uh, we'll talk about Jamal Murray. We'll talk about what else was said. Second segment, I'm going to go through some awards races stuff. Third segment, I'm going to do all NBA team stuff. Basically, like I said, this is a more intermediate podcast between the games. And then on Thursday night, I'm going to be recording for Friday. And I'll be doing more of a playoff deep dive for the play for the teams that Denver is going to be facing in the playoffs. And what some of the benefits are, what the detriments are, etc. But for now, there just there just isn't a lot to talk about. Uh, six game win streak, it's it's been awesome, but the formula has been mostly the same. That hey, the starters are generally awesome, and the bench has now caught up. They've done a really good job, and and so there are some things that we could talk about with that. But I, I'd prefer to kind of go big picture now. So let's do practice update first. Michael Malone, he wasn't super open about. Um, the exact plan of what was going on and, and what everything was going to happen over the course of this next month. But from the sound of it, you sort of get the sense that Michael Porter Jr. heading down to the G League at some point during this week. I know Harrison Wind reported that. I know Mike Singer reported that. Obviously, Michael Porter reported that over the weekend. And it is pretty interesting to hear that, hey, this this is a really good step in the right direction where you have a player now who is feeling good enough following his big injury that he now can give it a go at full strength, at full speed, against some G League competition. And he's not going to go full bore, I don't think. I think he, he understands the rehab process. He's been through this several times now. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he comes back from this, but more so just where he's at physically, because it, it looks good. If it visually looks good. We got to see him today going up in a in a one-on-one against Davon Reed at the end of practice. And they each had some good moments, but it was mostly Michael Porter who was having the good moments where he was shooting over Davon Reed. He blocked him at the rim one time on a, an isolation on the right wing. Davon went to the left and then tried to lay the ball up on the left side of the rim. And Porter blocked it off the backboard. So he has enough recovery speed at this. It, it was like 100%. It was more like, I don't know, 80%, 85% is how I would categorize that. But I do think that the Nuggets at this point are very excited about the physical progress that he has been making, enough so that they're willing to clear him for more full contact. 
I think he's cleared. Not not fully for game action or anything like that, but for ramping up physically. And it's a great sign that he and the Nuggets are in this position because we never knew whether this was a possibility. Uh, I, I think everybody had their own ideas. But the initial sense that you got was that this was an interminable thing, that this is probably not something that you're going to be paying attention to towards the end of the year or at during this year at all. Now, there, there's a distinct possibility that the Nuggets can get him back and potentially get him back to playing some big minutes. So that's going to be nice. Denver, they, they've had their three-point percentage crawl up recently. It's in a good spot right now. Porter's only going to make that better. And I'm excited to think about that. And we will think about that more kind of as we get some progress updates. But for now, let's table that. Jamal Murray is still a ways away. And the sense that you get, uh, if you read the Sam Almick article yesterday on Monday, uh, he, I thought, brought to light some of the good information that was kind of out there in the ether, but he was able to put some some writing and sourcing behind it. Was that Murray has not necessarily it's not necessarily that he hasn't responded well, but he hasn't been like like the check marks that he's gone through. They've just taken a little bit more time than I think people would have expected. Some would have expected at this point. And that's okay. Like this was, he was never on a timetable. He was no, nobody ever wanted to put that pressure on him to get back by a certain time. It's all, it's always going to be about when he feels 100%. So when he feels 100%, he will get back out there on the court. Uh, my guess is that what we saw him at practice today, he was kind of fooling around with DeMarcus Cousins a little bit and some, some fake one on one. He's not like full contact yet, and my guess is that that'll probably come next week or the week after. But after that, he might go through the same process where where you get to a certain place where you feel pretty good, and then you might go down to the G League and you get some reps with the G League team. You get some good practices in, some good scrimmages in, and it's just you're putting yourself into a good position where you can come back and feel really good about yourself physically. If he gets back by, like, if if he gets back to the Nuggets by, let's say, March 20th, then I think that Denver's going to be okay. And I think that they could try to integrate him for a, a week, maybe a week and a half, try to get him back on the court by April 1st, get some uh, game reps into him, and then see where he is when the playoffs roll around. And the good thing about the Nuggets is that they're probably going to be a six seed or a five seed. And if they're the five seed, then they'll play Utah or some team like that. Or they might play Dallas. I, I, I don't know whether they're actually going to play those teams, but Denver can win a first round series without Jamal at his best. It would certainly help. It would certainly help if he was full bore. But I think the timeline that we have for him, not have that, the timeline that was initially hoped for, uh, it's not going to be there. And you're going to probably 
have just a few games of Jamal Murray in the regular season before playoffs ultimately become a thing. And whether he's a starter at that point or a bench player, I I sort of doubt that he's going to start games. I know that others have been like, hey, that's a little bit odd. If he comes back, he's going to come back as as a starter. I do think that he helps Denver's bench unit. I do think that Monte Morris has held down the starting unit pretty well. And maybe if you incorporate Michael Porter Jr. into the starting unit, then you're still okay. Like a Monte, Will Barton, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic starting unit, that's pretty good. That's that's probably good enough to beat the Jazz. It's probably good enough to beat the Mavericks. It's definitely good enough to lose to those teams. Um, or de- It's not at least certain. But I do think that Denver still shouldn't be rushing him back. They aren't rushing him back, obviously. Uh, Nuggets fans, though, I do think that those two those two timetables should probably be separated at this point. I know they were initially thought of as together. They should probably be separated. Porter is going to come back first. Murray will follow, uh, most likely. The other thing that I think came out of practice that I think needs discussing is that I asked Michael Malone this, I asked Will Barton this, and they were both in lockstep uh, that Denver isn't really playing for seeding this year. They are, and they didn't, at least not publicly. Like they may try to manipulate the seedings if two weeks away from the playoffs, you're in a position where you could face Team X or Team Y, and you really prefer Team Y. So you lose or you. Uh, win and then send a call to another team and tell them to lose or something like that. We're going to have to see uh, what ultimately happens, but I do think that the Nuggets, with the way that the Mavericks are playing right now, with the way that the Timberwolves are playing right now, the Nuggets are in a situation where they are going to have to win a ton of games in order to keep pace, not even just move up. It does look like, well, I say look like, but currently the Lakers are up 87 to 85 early in the fourth quarter against the Mavericks. So maybe the Mavericks drop to six tonight. Maybe the Nuggets go up to five. And if that's the case, then great. I mean, that's fine. Denver's going to be in a situation where like, the more wins they have, they're going to put themselves into a place where they can make themselves uncatchable to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that's really what you're looking for. I think if you gave the Nuggets truth serum, they didn't talk about the play-in game today. Michael Malone didn't talk about the play-in game. But they want to stay out of that. They want to make sure that they have a top six seed to ensure that they don't have a chance of following out of the playoffs. Because as long as they get into the playoffs, they feel like they have a chance to get Murray back within that time frame, or if you already have Porter back and he's already playing, what, 25 minutes a night, that's a lot of good minutes that you could potentially be getting for a shooter that could average 20 plus in a series and nobody would really bat an eye. Denver's in a good spot where they've got a relatively easy schedule still. They've been 
playing a lot of good basketball right now. They've put themselves into a position where as long as they win, they're going to be fine. And I do think that by winning these games and by continuing to um, by continuing to put themselves into a position where they put the Timberwolves at bay, they are going to be in a position where they could rest down the stretch. And that's really what you want, right? You want Jokic to be rested. You want uh, Murray and Porter if they – like you want them to get some reps, but you don't want them to have to feel like they have to contribute to anything immediately. You want to get Will Barton some rest. You want to get Aaron Gordon some rest, Monte Morris, etc. Like Denver's got a lot of guys that have been carrying a lot of water. And it's time for them to put it down. So they've got about – well, they're, they're through 61 games. If you told me that they got to game 77 and there are five games left, we'll just say 78, 8, 79, 80, 81, and 82. It's about two weeks left of the season. Well, we'll just call it April. If you get to April 1st and Denver has clinched a top six seed, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Nikola Jokic sits at least a couple of those games, and I think he'll be more amenable to that because he missed a couple games early in the season. So he's not trying to keep a a game streak going or something like that. But we're going to see. We're going to see what he looks like. We're going to see how the Nuggets operate. Uh, I do think that these conversations are important because you get the picture of where teams are really focused and whether they're worried about the play-in, whether they're worried about uh, themselves, whether they're worried about a certain matchup. From what I understand, I think the Nuggets know that if they face the Warriors, if they face the Jazz, if they face the Mavericks, if they face the Grizzlies, they're going to have a tough matchup anyway. Any which way you look, it's going to be tough. If they face the Suns, I think you'd like to avoid that in the first round, that's for sure. But if you're facing the Suns in the second round, you've already gotten to the second round. Like the hope at that point is you've you've given Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. another two weeks where they can hopefully get back into playing shape. Maybe it looks different at that point. So that's where they're at. That's where everything is at. Uh, practice today, pretty good. Nothing major. We did get to see Darrell Arthur, who's now a part of the Nuggets organization officially. That's very cool. Part of the basketball ops department. And I am very interested to see what he has to say about Nikola Jokic. So maybe maybe I'll try to ask him about that at some point. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the award races right now and where everything currently stands around the NBA. We'll be right back. But first, Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, it's just too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill dunk good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings customers can also bet on the NBA with new same-game parlays where You combine multiple bets together from the same game for a bigger payout. 
The more likes you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you do. Bet just $1 on any NBA team. Get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code MHS. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right, back at it. Pickaxe and roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars if you can on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. Okay. Let us get into this MVP race. Let us get into the other awards races. And there are going to be more times to fully dissect this. And and I don't want to uh, just go full bore Jokic on everybody, but I really do think that right now in the MVP race, it's it's Jokic and Embiid, and everyone else at this point is just fighting for third. And the reason why it's Jokic and Embiid is more to do with narratives, honestly, than anything else. Uh, the Nuggets right now are rolling. They've, they've put themselves into a good position where they've won a bunch of games, and they've put themselves into position standings-wise where, hey, they're 36-25. and 25. And if the Mavericks lose tonight, then they will be in the five seed. The Sixers are 37 and 23, which is a game and a half ahead of them. And they're in the three seed in the East. So is that better? Sure. Uh, Should the Nuggets be penalized for that in the overall MVP standings for Nikola Jokic? I don't know. But I do think that the context is going to matter here. What Jokic has had to do is a little bit more difficult than what Embiid has had to do, in my opinion. He's been surrounded by a whole bunch of good players for a lot of this season. And Tyrese Maxey's a rising star. I think you can still pencil in Tobias Harris as a guy who can be extremely helpful on any given night. And now he's got James freaking Harden. So Jokic has a good supporting cast too. And I'm not trying to diminish the contributions of Aaron Gordon, Monte Morris, Will Barton, etc. But those guys, Gordon has been more consistent, but he's been at a consistent kind of B level in terms of what you're looking for from a star. He's not quite at star level. And and Tyrese Maxey can reach that level a little bit more consistently. And I do think that now that you've got James Harden, like that's just, just two different tiers, of course. But more than that, Monte's level is not necessarily at the highest. It's more of a very steady floor. Uh, Will has been up and down. The bench is obviously a mess. And the Sixers, for, for all the discussions about Embiid carrying the team, it hasn't really been carrying. Like, they've they've had decent bench showings. George's Niang is really, really good. Uh, they've got guys uh, that are coming off the bench and that rotate with the bench on a consistent basis that have been fantastic. And now you've got Harden to really boost that up too. So I do think that it's between those two. 
everybody else is fighting for third, including Giannis, and the way that the Bucks have really slid, they currently rank 36 and 25 themselves. And let's be frank, the Nuggets being 36 and 25 is a lot more impressive than the Bucks being 36 and 25. They've had their stars healthy for more of the year than the Nuggets have had their stars healthy. And sure, Brooke Lopez has missed a whole bunch of time, but there's a difference between Brooke Lopez and Jamal Murray now. Come on. So I do think that if you're the Nuggets and you see that Denver's in this position, I think it's in a whole bunch of people's best interest. Um, if you continue to fight for that MVP for Yoke, like you just want to see him be credited for what has been a fantastic season once again. It's debatably better than his previous season. And though he might be trying to sandbag himself a little by taking five shots last game against um, Drew Eubanks, like that's that's it's pretty odd to me. But I'm not wired like Jokic, and I don't I don't pretend to know what he's thinking. I, I heard uh, Adam and Matt on Lockdown have a, a really very interesting theory that he's kind of sandbagging the MVP race a little bit. And it kind of looks like it. It, it does kind of look like it, not going to lie. But we're going to see. We will see. Um, the March 14th date between those two, it's probably the most important game of the NBA calendar at this point. I know that there are other races that will be decided later in the year. Uh, not, not necessarily award races, but more playoff races. But I do think that for narrative purposes, the actually Brooklyn versus Philly is also going to be one. But after that, on March 14th, Jokic versus Embiid, that's going to be just it's a it's a massive, massive event. Defensive player of the year. This is going to be an interesting year for defensive player of the year because I think the best candidate was Draymond Green, but he's only played 34 games and it doesn't seem like he's close to getting back anytime soon. So he may not play. And to be the defensive player of the year, I don't think it's just about being the most, like it's it's not being the best defender. It's about being the most impactful defender. And I do think that games played matters for this one. Just like it matters for MVP, just like it matters for some of these other races. Maybe not as much for all NBA, but I do think that there's a differentiation between the two. So Giannis might be the leader in the clubhouse. He's still just an excellent defender. I don't think anybody could really question that, and he's played a lot more center this year. Having to do that in place of Brooke Lopez, and I think the defense has been pretty good. Certainly much better when Giannis is on the floor. But it's also not ironclad. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Probably now the clubhouse leader because you could see what happened to Utah's defense when he left, uh, when he was out injured. And, and you could see what he can do when he's isolated against Luka Doncic or some of these other stars that decide that they want to try to challenge him in isolation. It's never really a good idea. Like most of the time, Gobert's going to win those battles and, and he's just a fantastic defender. I don't think anybody would really question that. Bam Adebayo, another deserving guy. He's only played 37 games. And so 
the mo- like most teams now have played at least 60. So if you've played fewer than 40 games, then it's hard for me to really consider you at this point. That brings me to a couple of other interesting candidates. Jaron Jackson Jr., I think he's leading the league in blocks right now, if I'm not mistaken. Very versatile, very helpful on a really good team. But they're more of an offensive team than anything else. And the way that they get up and down, it's more conducive to the offensive end of the floor. I'm not sure if Jaron Jackson is good enough. He's been fantastic, but like, it's more Miles Turner-esque than it is Rudy Gobert-esque, if that makes any sense. It's more of like, hey, you can get the blocks, and they're going to be flashy. But if the impact isn't going to be at a certain level, then I think it's very possible that he might not be picked. But Evan Mobley, the Cleveland Cavaliers rookie, he's fantastic. He's great. He's got a lot of great defensive impact metrics. He's been on the court for Cleveland's best moments. He has the versatility to play the 3, 4, or 5 defensively and has done it all season. He's very good. He's a nice utility piece that they have. And he's just been very polished all year. So Matt Moore thought he might be a good candidate for the Defensive Player of the Year. At this point, I think I'd probably give it to Gobert. But there's still plenty of time left in the season, about a quarter of the year left. So things might change, but I have to imagine Gobert is the clubhouse leader. Sixth man of the year feels like it's Tyler Hero's award to lose at this point. He has really ironed out a nice solid case for the leading team in the Eastern Conference right now, the 40-21 and 21 Miami Heat. They've been very good and they've been very consistent. And one of the reasons they've been consistent is because Tyler Hero is averaging a consistent 20 points a night off the bench. And it's not the most efficient, but his ability to get off tough shots to create those shots for himself. Sometimes he's the leading shot creator for the team. And there are clutch moments where he's the guy that they turn to on a pretty consistent basis. Like sometimes it'll be Jimmy, but a lot of times if they need some more perimeter creation as opposed to somebody on the wing, somebody who could get into the paint, Hero has been the guy. And it's pretty interesting that his uh, his stock in the NBA has vacillated so drastically where he was through the roof as a rookie, where people were like comparing him to Michael Porter Jr. And I was like, whoa, that's, uh, that's high praise. And then he had a sophomore, not slump necessarily, but kind of like everybody started realizing the warts a little bit more. And then he worked on those things and got stronger and became a better player in his third season. Now everybody's like, wow, look at Tyler Hero. And it's pretty funny because he did just kind of have like a a pretty standard growth spurt where he, he was playing pretty well his rookie year, had a small sophomore slump, and then bounced back and... It's just kind of how those things go sometimes. So it's probably just him. But I do want to shout out Kevin Love, shout out Kelly Oubre. Both of those guys have been great this year off the bench. Um, the Cavs have a they have a all-NBA list. They have defensive player candidates. They have a rookie of the year candidate. They have a six-man of the year candidate. Very interesting from the Cavs this year. Um, speaking of rookie of the year, 
Evan Mobley, I think, has locked this thing up unless Scotty Barnes continues to go like 10 of 10 in halves consistently. Evan Mobley is just fantastic, as I mentioned. Not just on the defensive end, like putting himself into a position where he could actually be a dark horse candidate to win the award for Defensive Player of the Year, but also on the offensive end where he's still not polished. He's still not a a great offensive player, but he has all of the skills that you're looking for from a jump shooting perspective, from a passing perspective, from a lob catching standpoint, also can create off the dribble a little bit, just a very well-rounded prospect. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to his growth and development because he looks like Anthony Davis in a good way. Hopefully he doesn't leave Cleveland. Scotty Barnes deserves a shout out, as I mentioned. Uh, Franz Wagner probably deserves a shout out too. Cade Cunningham, probably not good enough from a consistent shot making standpoint. He continues to go through some pretty tough slumps and Jalen Green's off the map. Don't even really need to talk about him. Um, and two, two final awards here. Most improved players always kind of wild, but I do think that John Morant sort of fits the bill of what the most improved player award has looked like in recent years. Luka Doncic won this previously. Giannis has won this previously. Lots of players that are in their second or third year that make that drastic leap from a good player to a great player. That is generally where you go with this kind of award. But I also think that among other candidates, Anthony Edwards, Darius Garland, DeJounte Murray, Miles Bridges, Desmond Bain, there's a lot of guys that are deserving for this. And like Fred Van Vliet even could be a guy who makes a degree of sense. But I do think that ultimately people will look at the the point per game jump that Ja has had, which is like eight points per game, nine points per game, or something absurd like that. And they'll be like, wait, he did start at like 18, 19 last year. And now he's doing what? Now he's in this crazy mode at like 27, 28. He has been phenomenal this year. Just just the best show on earth right now. And I hope he continues to be the best show on earth. Just not against the Nuggets. That would be great. Coach of the year, final award here, Monty Williams, Taylor Jenkins, J.B. Bickerstaff. I don't think you could go wrong with any of those guys. Monty Williams, obviously coach of the Suns. He has been awesome this year in the face that they've had to deal with absences to DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Cameron Payne, Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson. No, not Cameron Johnson. Mikhail Bridges, I'm pretty sure. They've had a lot of injuries throughout the year, and they've made it work with JaVale McGee and Ish Wainwright, and I don't know. They, they traded for Torrey Craig again. They're making him viable. Um, they added Bismack Biombo. Like, good Lord. That's a pretty impressive range of players to be adding into your rotation and still feeling pretty good about. So I do think that they are very deserving for a coach of the year spot because you're not going to give MVP conversation to Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Like they're just a great team. And when you have a team like this, I do think that they need to be represented somewhere. 
They don't really have a DPOY candidate. I guess that you could do Mikhail Bridges for DPOY, but I just don't think he has the impact as as much as any of the other bigs. And I also don't know if he's like he's a good defender, like a really really freaking good defender on the wing. But he's not Kawhi Leonard in his prime. He's not Tony Allen or anything like that. So I think there's this wanting to push him up into a a different tier than he actually is, which is still a fantastic player. But what Monty Williams has done, I think, deserves to be represented here. Taylor Jenkins with Memphis has been fantastic, of course. J.B. Bickerstaff with Cleveland has, of course, been fantastic. But I do think last year the NBA got it wrong. Voters got it wrong when they voted for Tom Thibodeau. He was in a high-profile situation in New York, and it turned out to be completely fool's gold. So I do think that everybody should be correcting for that definite screw-up. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will quickly go over all NBA teams and some of my preliminary thoughts as we're three-quarters of the way in. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's go through these all NBA teams relatively quickly here. I know that everybody, you could probably get these for a national podcast, but this is my opportunity to share my thoughts. So I wanted to uh, put these out there because I can. Uh, Real quick before that, though, Mavericks beat the Lakers. Lakers blow a late lead. Uh, It's pretty, uh, pretty sad if you're the Lakers once again. It's just not their year, and everything's kind of gone wrong for them, but I'm, I'm definitely happy about it, that's for sure. There's, a, there's a no doubt that they just don't matter this season, and acting like they do, I think, is pretty nuts. I think it's, it's any anybody that acts like the Lakers matter at this point is just doing it for clicks, is just doing it for the audio, for the downloads, whatnot. It is what it is. We will see. Preliminary thoughts for the All-NBA teams. We've still got about 20 games left on the season. And I do think that... These would change if if there was a little bit more flexibility, then these would change in my mind. I think the Jokic and Embiid would both be on. And I I think I can make the argument for that because, look, the All-Star team, they have made front court and back court a thing. The All-NBA teams do guards, forwards, and center. I'm not sure that if if you're going to do front court, then there's no reason to not vote for Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid this year. They were the three top players in the NBA this year. And to say anything differently, I think would be nuts. And if you're going just Jokic and Embiid, one of those two 
are the top two players, and one of those two is going to be probably on the second team. So it's tough. It's not a great situation for the NBA, I don't think. I, I think that they should make these things all positionless. Positions do matter, and, and like I think anybody would say that the center spot is back. But all things go through, like, there was a time where there was a center drought. Right now, I think there's a forward drought. I think that once you get to the fifth and sixth forwards in the race this year, it's a little bit difficult. So if you instead open things up for the centers, then you can have Jokic, Embiid, Rudy Gobert, and Carl Anthony Towns on this thing. I think all four of those guys are fairly deserving. But only three are going to make it. That's just kind of how it is. First team, two guards, two forwards, and a center. Curry and Ja Morant are my two guards. Luka has been pushing for it. Like, don't get me wrong, he's been spectacular. He'll probably win Western Conference Player of the Month in February. I think that's very much likely at this point. But I do think that what Ja has been doing, just put up 46 and 52 in back-to-back nights, not back-to-back, not back-to-back games, and what Curry continues to do in for one for the second best team in the NBA, I think is still very important. And I think their most recent losing streak, what what's happened without Draymond, has really changed their narrative. But he's still been fantastic, and like what Curry has been able to do with Andrew Wiggins and Kevon Looney and Otto Porter and Nemanja Bielitsa and Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and guys like that. He's been pretty good. He has been really, really good, actually. And the winning does matter to me in this. So if I have a tie, I'm pretty much going to default to the team that's winning more. I think that's fair. Ja, of course, over Luka, like I said. Luka will be the second-team guard. At forward, I have Giannis and DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan, I think you could make an argument for him behind Butler. I think you could make an argument for him behind LeBron. But I think what DeRozan has done, they've had their injuries too. What he's done to help revitalize the Chicago team, I think is very, very big. Immediately went in there and became the best guy, became the best player. And he went on that incredible run for several games of just unbelievable scoring. He does have other holes in his game. Not a great defender, but I think that matters less for awards like this. What he's done as a shooter this year, and frankly as a playmaker for others, has been good enough. So I'm giving him the nod. Giannis, I don't really have to justify, I don't think. At center, I'm going Jokic. Obviously, this is a Nuggets podcast. If I went and beat, you'd probably slam me. But I do think the Jokic has been the better player. I think that's pretty clear this year. If the argument for Philly fans is that the Sixers are a better team, that doesn't really matter as much to me because, yeah, they're probably supposed to be because the Nuggets have had, or they've been without two of their top three guys. The Sixers have not. They're without their second best guy. And now they get freaking James Harden into the mix. So don't tell me that he's lacking for supporting cast at this point. Um, 
But either way, Jokic is putting up a historic season. Nobody needs to go over that too much on this podcast because it's well documented and I'm going to keep talking about it and going to be be talking about the MVP race and the All-NBA and whatnot. And it is going to be interesting to see how many players in NBA history have been able to do what Jokic has done through his first seven years if he does win an MVP and if he does win first-team All-NBA. I'm going to probably look this up for um, different categories at some point, but I do want to see if I can pull it up very quickly here. Um, No, I can't. That's okay. I'll probably try to look it up and post it tomorrow on the Twitter timeline, but that's okay. Um, So Jokic first team. To recap, first team, Curry, John Morant, Giannis, DeRozan, and Jokic. Second team, we're going Luka. Right now, I'm going Chris Paul because I think he's more important to their team than Devin Booker is. Um, But that'll probably flip when CP3 doesn't play any more of the games. And then Booker, who's been comparable, to say the least, um, will probably keep the Suns in first place. They won't have any issues with that. And the Suns have been fantastic, and I think you have to credit one or two of those guys with at least a second team nod. So CP3 gets it for now. Booker will probably get it later. Jimmy Butler has been fantastic. LeBron James, despite the fact that he's been on a dash, uh, just just completely awful Lakers squad. Uh, both of those guys get their nods. And then Embiid gets on the second team. I think that's pretty self-explanatory for that one. For Butler, he's the leading guy on a championship contender in Miami that has the best record in the Eastern Conference. That counts for something. He's their most deserving player. I wouldn't want to put on Durant or Tatum or anybody like that ahead of these guys. I do think that Butler is definitely deserving. And LeBron, I know that people will probably argue this one because of the way that their season has gone, but just watch a Lakers game. Like, he's having to deal with Russell Westbrook, and this version of Russell Westbrook is just so destructive. Just a complete waste of time. So I do hope that at some point here, he gets to be in a better situation. And maybe, actually, I don't know. We'll we'll just have to see about it. But it does seem to me like he's on his way down. Very much will be in the realm of passing that crown, so to speak. So who he passes it to will be interesting. Giannis, I think, has as great an argument as anybody. Doncic has a great argument. But I do think Jokic has an argument too. And so we will see what he can do in these playoffs, of course. But third team, we've got Devin Booker. He would be the fifth guard. So if if CP3 moves down, Booker would move up. Trey Young is the other guard. I know he's also been in a situation where his team has kind of failed him, but he individually has been fantastic. Kevin Durant at forward, Jason Tatum at forward, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert are the final candidates at center. I'm not sure who to pick between those two. I think that they're both equally deserving, just in different ways. So let's go with Cat this time around. I think he hasn't been on one of these in a while, so 
let's see if he can stay on it. Um, but yeah, Durant probably hasn't played enough games for a lot of people, but I do think that if he comes back over the course of these next, what, five games or so, then he will probably finish the season with at least 50, 50 games played. That's probably enough to be on the third team. There isn't really another great deserving option at the forward spots. So I hope that he comes back. I hope that he plays. Hope that Ben Simmons plays. I want to be able to talk about the Brooklyn Nets again without it being a theory. That would be great. But we will see. We will see about the rest of this year. Um, I don't really have that much more. I do think that it's important to kind of take this pulse of where the entire NBA is at. And I just wanted to be able to share my thoughts on a kind of an intermediate day. Once again, got the updates from earlier today on Jamal Murray, on Michael Porter Jr. Not not really an update on Jamal, but we do have tangible information about Mike. And I do think he's on his way back. Hopefully the Nuggets can continue to win even before he does come back. And hopefully they continue to win after he does. So we will just have to see. That's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back tomorrow as I recap the Denver Nuggets game over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Hopefully Denver gets a win, continue their win streak. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. Talk to you guys very soon.